Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of uh, Unity Colorado, a political podcast brought to you by Colin Wilhelm for Colorado. I am Colin Wilhelm, and you can find this on any of your um, podcast networks from Stitcher to Spotify to anywhere in between. Also on our website, wilhelmforcolorado.com, where you can learn more about my campaign to defeat Lauren Boebert and flip Colorado's third congressional district. And also you can volunteer, sign up to volunteer there. And please, please, please click the donate button and leave whatever you can. Um, if you find this podcast entertaining, please leave us a five-star review and follow for future episodes. With me today, as always, is my awesome human, Keely. Good morning. Hope everybody's having a wonderful day. I was feeling a little bit crazy this morning running around, but turns out I was not the only one that brought my kid late to school today. Ah, <laughs> so it's just one of those days. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is getting weirder this morning. Is like really the first time I noticed it was still very dark. Yeah, it makes it so hard to get out of bed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know when daylight savings time ends, but it's got to be soon. Uh, November 7th. Oh, okay. We, we fall back. We lose an hour. Yes. Okay, I, we just need to go to a regular year-long system. I agree. Like, so what if it gets darker earlier or whatever? You know. Yeah, just make it. Just make lines. it. Make it the same time. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's confusing. But. Yep. Um, yeah, and it's another wonderful, confusing Colorado weather day as well. We still haven't hit that winter yet, but we still have, we're still not in summer anymore. So it felt pretty chilly out there this morning. I, uh, like I said, was running late. Walked outside and saw some some frost on my window. So had to wait an additional, you know, ten minutes. <laughs> my I, car. Yeah. I did see a couple of cars with two to three inches of snow on their roofs this oh, morning. Thank you. So it's coming. It's coming. I meant to live on the beach, Colin. Well, <laughs> you know, speaking of um, living on the beach. That might become a, a little bit easier in the future. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. And and that snow might be going away in the future. I mean, I certainly don't wish for that. Yeah. I'd like to have the choice to live in snow or beachy weather, but uh, with the way things are looking. Yep. And we'll, we'll talk a lot about climate change and in, in the climate and the weather today, I think. But um, first I wanted to, did you see the story over the weekend um, in international news? You know, I'm a, a world news geek, or as our producer John would call me, just a dork. <laughs> um, yeah, I did. So Saudi Arabia um, has pledged to cut its carbon emissions to net zero by 2060. Yeah, that sort of surprised me because, you know, I think of Saudi Arabia as like the world's major player in oil and gas. Yeah, they are the world's biggest oil exporter. So they're like, I, I guess it seems like the oil and gas industry for so many years has been the ones leading the charge against climate change and against going to net neutrality right. and zero emissions. So it kind of shocked me when I read that over the weekend. I, I mean, in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's good to know that now with Saudi Arabia joining, there's more than 100 countries that have committed now. To reaching that net zero emissions. Yeah, uh, 2060 is pretty far away. Um, 
we know that uh, some scientists have said we need to do it a lot. We need we need to get working a lot quicker than that. Yeah, and to be completely honest, um, anything that we do now is you know may not change much in our lifetimes. No, um, but it certainly will for future generations. Well, like the daughter that you got late to school today. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, by twenty sixty, let's see, I'll be I'll be in my sixties, so I'll still have some, <laughs> some time there, but. Uh, I, I hope to see some big changes. By, oh, you by are that. so young. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Mohammed bin Salman, or um, as he's better known, Crown Prince MBS, said that um, <laughs> he would be donating, or not donating, but pledging mm-hmm. 700 billion riyas, uh, which equates to about $187 billion wow. on a new climate, goal, climate goals. In particular, he is pledging to be net zero by 2060, but he's getting this jump quickly and says that they're going to be reducing um, 270 million tons of carbon uh, emissions by 2030. Wow. So that's, um, that. when I was looking at that, I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. So I had to look into it. And without going into too much detail for our listeners and making them fall asleep, <laughs> it's a heavy goal. It's not, it's I mean, not, yeah, it's nine, nine years away from that. Yeah. And it's not like it's just saying, oh, we're just going to, it's, it's not a meaningless statistic that he's throwing out there. It's a pretty heavy goal and it, it, it will take some work to get there. So I'm encouraged by that. Yeah. So not only with the carbon dioxide emissions, but um, they're going to be cutting the emissions of methane. Yep. Um, by up to 30%, which um, obviously carbon dioxide and methane are two key factors in causing climate change. Yeah, and methane is a direct producer or direct result of the production and capture of oil and gas um, and then the extraction of that. So what this is saying is that they've found ways to minimize that um, that production of methane through the, the, through the industry because they're not going to cut their, their breadwinner. Right. Well, and if I uh, remember correctly, the the cutting of these emissions is only going to apply domestically. Yes. So they're not going to stop producing oil and um, gas production. Um, so it's not counted for what they ship away. Right. It doesn't count towards them. No, but it's a start. Yeah, it's a start. And, um, you know, we, we as, a, as a society need to need to take these actions. I think Barack Obama said it best a couple of months ago. Uh, we're the, my generation, the millennial generation, he was referencing, is the first to see the effects of climate change right. and probably the last to do something about it, have the opportunity to right. do something about it. Um, I might be young, but I'm still a millennial. I'm an old millennial. <laughs> yeah. I'm on the other side. <laughs> yeah, I, I was born when... Uh, when uh, before smartphones and grew up before smartphones and Twitter and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, my first one was like a brick with the little bleep bleep. <laughs> yeah, I had a pager. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, anyways, um, so today, I mean, this is a really great kind of segue into what we wanted to talk about today, um, being our main topic of climate change. Um, and I thought, you know, with a lot of controversy around climate change and everything today that maybe we'd start off by 
kind of explaining what climate change is. You hear global warming and climate change, and although they are kind of intertwined, mm-hmm. um, climate change is the long-term change in the weather patterns. Right. Um, so watching, you know, the the levels of rainfall um, over the years and how hot it has uh-huh. been. And uh, 2016 and 2020 actually mark some of the hottest years yep. ever recorded. Um, so obviously we know that things are changing and yeah. they're happening very quickly. And one of the big issues has been in the past uh, couple of decades on this issue is whether it's man-made or not. Right. And um, so it, this is a political, but it's also a science factual right. issue. So um, as a political candidate, I'm just going to get this out of the way right now. I believe in man-made climate change. I follow the science. I believe that it's real. Absolutely. Um, so let nobody question that going forward. Right. Um, I think that there's things that we can do to mitigate the effects moving forward. That doesn't mean that we need to full stop on everything that we're doing in terms of our ec- economy right now. Right. So uh, for more information on that, you can get, get information on where I stand on fossil fuels and all that stuff mm-hmm. on my website, wilhelmforcolorado.com. Uh, when you're there, sign up to volunteer. Send us an email if you want to know more about where I stand on these issues. And if you like it, go donate. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, but yeah, you're right. 2016 and 2020 were two of the hottest years on record. But actually, the last decade uh, was the hottest in 125,000 years. Wow. Um, well, that, that right there just goes to show that obviously people are yeah. contributing. Yeah, one of the only changes in the past, past 125,000 years has been... The increase of human population. <laughs> yeah. You know, so in, in our increase in technology and what we put out, everything we do creates some form of, of waste. Um, there's good waste and bad waste. Right. You know? Yeah, um, I read somewhere that the CO2 emissions um, from human activity is increasing more than 250 times faster than it did from natural sources after the last ice age. Wow. So we have really put our mm-hmm. you know, pedal to the metal there <laughs> yeah. um, and speeding it up. Um, and when we when we talk about this, um, you know, this is including things like the oceans warming. Yes. Um, which obviously affects the fish mm-hmm. and the wildlife, the coral reefs, everything that lives in there. Because as the oceans warm, um, they become more acidic. Yep. And um, it's, it's interesting to note that uh, the heat that we produce as humans and... Um, and even the natural heat that's produced by the by uh, the world and, and in general, ninety percent of that heat is caught in the oceans. Right, and that helps heat the the warm parts of the oceans and that sort of thing naturally. Right, but when when we're raising the temperatures on land, that then raises the temperatures of the water. Right, so then places like fish and coral reefs in particular. Or some of the most subject to it. Um, I was lucky enough in my lifetime to have seen the uh, Great Barrier Reef, mm-hmm. and I was able to snorkel it. I'm not sure many of our kids will be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember as a kid going um, to Hawaii and going snorkeling with my parents and seeing these beautiful coral reefs. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, I've gone back um, to go snorkeling and stuff, and everything is brown and dead, and the like. The amount of fish and everything that are around is yeah. lacking. Yep. Yeah. It's really sad to see. Um, you know, I had always hoped that I could share those amazing things with my daughter, and I just not 
don't see that the the change will be ha- ha- fast enough for her to see that. Well, if we can get to work, maybe your daughter can share it with your grandkids. Right. Um, yeah, so with the, with the warming of the oceans, um, that obviously plays a big role in shrinking the ice sheets and um, glaciers, mm-hmm. um, which ultimately then raises the levels, um, the sea levels. Yep. And um, that's kind of a scary thought, too, because if all of the ice melts and the oceans raise... We have, I mean, here in America, we've got quite a few towns and cities that will no longer be. And, and you'll hear from um, some people, climate deniers, Lauren Bobert will say that, well, we've been hearing the ice is melting, the ice is melting, and we're not really seeing it. Well, what, what's happening from my reading, my research, is mm-hmm. that the ice underneath right. is the stuff that's melting. And we're losing 1.2 trillion tons of ice a year. Wow. Now, that seems like a huge number. It does. It is. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and it's almost incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if you put the weight of every single living organism on a scale, uh-huh. it would be one on Earth right now. Right. From giant whales to humans to massive elephants and everything. Sure. It would be 1.1 trillion tons. Wow. So we're losing more than the entire weight of every living organism on Earth per year in terms of ice loss. That is a whole, excuse my language, shit ton. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So while you're not seeing the ice melt the way that scientists maybe said you would or the visual evidence that people want. Right. It's there. Yeah. I mean, they do say that the... um... At the very, you know, the at the smaller scale, that the oceans will rise by eight feet by twenty one hundred, and with that, obviously, it's going to bring flooding, huge storms, which we're already kind of seeing mm-hmm. effects of that. I mean, especially here in Colorado, I think this was the most, the one of the rainiest yep. summers that I've ever experienced. It was, yeah. Um, you know, and that's going to bring more hurricanes, tidal waves, and destruction. Yeah. Um, and it's going to have massive effects on the economy. Yeah, absolutely. If we look at the U.S. economy alone, and let's just focus on that because that's where we are. Yeah. Um, so not even the sea levels rising on the coast and this, what it will do to the cities. Right. If we talk about one of the largest portions of our sector, we're not an agricultural society, right? Mm-hmm. But we do still have a lot of agriculture that we produce. Yeah. Um, and now extreme rainfall events in the breadbasket area have increased by 37%. Okay. So that means that in 2019, um, most soybean uh, production was planted in the regular time by uh, by the by June, and it was ready to go. Right. This year, due to extreme rainfall, only 67% of soybean production was planted by the end of June. Wow, so we're already seeing the effects of losing... Mm-hmm. Part of the agriculture. And that is going to only increase in, in, in instances where that's going to happen. It's not going to go back. That's going to become the new normal. Right. So in some areas, it might, um, you know, create longer growing seasons. Right. Um, but in others, it's going to completely destroy <laughs> the yeah. growing seasons. Think of no longer going to Napa for wine, right. but instead going up to Wyoming. Huh. Because that's going to be that's going to be where the the good 
growing season is for the for the ripe grapes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. And I mean, um, we're going to be getting, it's called for some of the biggest snowstorms mm -hmm. ever this, year. <laughs> this, this year. year. And it's not an El Nino or La Nina year. It's an off year. Right. So it's odd that they would call for them this year. Um, we certainly see, you know, I'm happy to see that there's going to be lots of snow because obviously we know here in Colorado, especially um, when we have those winters that there's not a whole bunch of snow mm -hmm. um, that typically translates to a ton of wildfires uh, and, in the summertime. Yep. And also our economy takes a big hit. Right. Um, and yeah, obviously that's very important too. Um, but we do depend on those runoffs mm -hmm. for the rivers. Yep. And um, here in Colorado, we are headwaters to three of the main rivers yep. um, that feed into Millions of people. You've heard me say them. Do you remember what they are? The Rio Grande. Uh-huh. Colorado. Uh-huh. And the Arkansas. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Good job. Um, so, you know, everything that we do and all the, the weather and everything, the climate change certainly affects our comfortable, yeah. you know, our, our comfort level um, here in Colorado and really all of the United States, um, everything's just going to be kind of shifting for everybody. And Yeah, the Colorado River alone it produces water, fresh water for 55 million people. Um, and it is 90% a snowpack river. Wow. Um, so when you look at that, it's going to be a good year for the Colorado River. Right. But a good year out of 10 isn't um, what we need. Right. Um, so with you, I believe it's the United States is the second, second largest in, um, carbon emissions, mm -hmm. China being number one, mm -hmm. um, you know, what are we doing yeah. as a country? Um, so we've declared we're going to be carbon net neutral by 2050. Okay. And that's 10 years before Saudi Arabia. Right. Okay. That's something. Um, but do we have. Do we know how we're doing that? Well, NASA, under the Obama administration, got to work. And they created some ground rules and, um, and, and did some good stuff. And, and they, they determined that we need to increase energy efficiency, increase the, re the use of renewable energies, mm -hmm. conserve and protect water resources through efficiency, reuse, and stormwater management. Okay. Uh, we need to eliminate waste, prevent pollution, increase recycling. Yeah, don't forget to recycle. Yeah. A lot of these things that I'm saying that NASA said we've been doing for, or talking about doing for decades, right? Right. Um, but then we need to really recognize that as a country, we're the leader in the world on a lot of issues. People turn to the United States for social direction, mm -hmm. economic direction, military leadership. They just say when the U.S. is going one way, the world tends to view it either in a good or bad way. Right. So we need to be the world leader in a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it, it, it's crazy to me, you know, just my life experience. I lived up in upstate New York for two years. Mm -hmm. um, and just the way that like recycling and things are handled differently there versus when I came back to Colorado, like where I live at now, there's not even recycling. They don't offer recycling. Mm -hmm. um, when I lived up in New York, you know, they did the, the whole like, you buy soda cans at the grocery store, you bring them back for 10 cents. And I think that's a great kind of way to get people to like incentivize uh -huh. them to yep. reduce their waste. 
um, and recycle. And I think that um, we could certainly benefit from more of that. Yeah, I grew up in Michigan and uh, there's the same thing there. Right. The five cents here, 10 cents in Michigan. And if anybody's seen, I know so many of our listeners probably seen the Seinfeld episode where they threw all the soda cans in the back of Newman's mail truck and tried to take them to Michigan because you, you got five cents more per can there. That's fine. Um, unfortunately, don't do that. It doesn't work. Uh, the, the cans that are sold in Michigan have a special code on them. Interesting. But, like, the difference that we could make uh-huh. if every state kind of followed suit on that. I mean, I know that if I look right now on your monster can here, you've got Vermont, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York, California. Uh-huh. Did I miss any of those? Maine. Maine for five cents. And then okay. and yeah, Michigan and Oregon, 10 cents. Okay, so if we all just followed suit and, you know, start something small, like making sure we we can return our cans mm-hmm. and get a little bit of money back. You know, I, I thought it was a really fun thing that I did with my daughter. She loved putting the cans okay. in the machine and, um, you know, just even being able to get 25 cents back was like this really exciting, fun thing. When I was a kid, we would go with my mom or whoever was taking us in, in Michigan you know, let's say we take back and get a dollar or something. Right. That was what we got to spend on the donut or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's not much, but A, you feel good about yeah. recycling, and B, it's just kind of a little a fun thing, not just for kids, but I kind of enjoyed it too. Yep. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, if we could make that a thing all the way across the United States, mm-hmm. I think we would see huge improvements you know, not just in the, the whole can thing, but like recycling in general. Yeah. You know, it should be available everywhere. It should. And, um, you know, it should be something that is provided as, uh, is provided through taxpayer money, I think. Yeah. Then we also have to make sure that, that when we just, it's not just the curb recycling. Right. We have known for a while, and there's been exposés done from John Oliver um, to really other very good documentarians that show that as a country... We do a good job of putting our recycling on the curb or taking back our cans. Right. Stuff but does idea. that recycling actually make it to the recycling facility? Yeah. Or right. does it just get dumped in the landfill? Yeah. And um, so we need to step that up a lot. Well, and by doing that creates jobs. It does. Um, so you'd think people would be on board with that. Yeah. You know, we can create jobs. And speaking of creating jobs, um, have you heard of this term or this document called the Green New Deal? I have heard of it, but I'm not exactly sure what it means. Okay. Well, I could read it to you right now on this podcast. Isn't it like 14 pages long? It's 14 pages long, a very large font, double-spaced. Okay. Um, consolidate for Oh, us. yeah. I won't read the entire <laughs> thing, but um, basically, it is. it starts off with a history of uh, the history of the environment in the United States, the history okay. of environmental policy in the United States. Okay. Three pages on that. And two pages on the New Deal during World War II and how the U.S. mobilized its its workforce and its economy and and the massive, just massive amount of uh, structure that the U.S. had to mobilize it to the work, to the, to the war force. Mm-hmm. And then this idea that we can do that, but for uh, rolling back the effects of climate change. Okay. And then in the middle of it, it talks about how we can do that and starts with that it is the sense of the House of Representatives that it's the duty of the federal government to create a Green New Deal to achieve net zero greenhouse gases, gas emissions through a fair and just transition for all communities and workers to create millions of good, 
high-wage jobs and ensure prosperity and economic security for all people of the United States. To invest in the infrastructure and industry of the United States to sustainably meet the challenges of the 21st century. And by doing so, we'll secure for all people of the United States for generations to come, clean air and water, climate and community resiliency, healthy food, access to nature, a sustainable environment, and promote justice and environmental justice by repairing the damages of of climate change. Hmm. That's literally the goal of the Green New Deal. Now then, the last five pages. Yeah, (laughs) pretty big, but it's 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 a good idea. Yeah, it's a start. The last five pages say that we want to create millions of green new jobs. We want to reduce climate, uh, reduce greenhouse emissions. Okay. It doesn't say what jobs we're going to create. Right. Doesn't say what jobs to cut. Okay. Doesn't say how to do any of this. Okay. It just talks about this is what we need to do as a country. Okay. So it's a general outline. Yeah. But nothing specific. Nope. Um, you know, off the top of my head, obviously, we know we need to stop burning as many fossil fuels. So that means right. coal mines, um, for one, you know, just off the top of my head. Um, so that could be replaced with things like... Solar farms. S- solar farms. Or um, the idea of, like, these sultan, sultan, molten... Salt, yeah, um, mines, if you will. Um, yep, which are awesome, by the way. Molten salt, salt, <laughs> molten salt mines. Say that five times fast. Are, um, <laughs> are a way of harnessing um, solar power and allowing it to be in, in heat and be used over a broad expanse of time and through a single capture. It's, right. So the sunlight essentially melts the salt, right. uh, which can be used for energy, yep. um, which is less detrimental to the environment um, as far as like if for whatever reason it, say, exploded. Yeah. Um, you'd have salt that will then cool yeah. and then turn back into salt. Cleaned up. Right. Yeah. And um, it, it's this awesome idea and it's reusable. It's right. infinite. It's almost infinitely reusable and it has practically zero emissions. That's awesome. Um, so, so instead of just, you know, by no means cut all these jobs that all of these people have, you know, spent their lives training for and, but replacing it with something where they can use those skills that they have learned for an energy source that is cleaner. The the key words in this, in the part that I read of this green new deal is, is a, um, the idea that this is investing in the infrastructure in the industry of the future to meet the needs of the 21st century. Okay. So it has nothing to do with like planes not being able to fly or anything else that Bobert has claimed. (laughs) No, it's got nothing to do with removing hamburgers or limiting the number of hamburgers people can eat. Right. But Um, if we don't do things about our climate, we're going to have a limited number of hamburgers to eat anyway. But also it's about, like you said, not closing coal mines. But if coal mines are out of coal, they're going to close. Right. That's, that's, you can't find new coal in the middle of the mountain that doesn't exist. Right. So if there's a mine that doesn't have coal in it, it's going to close. That's going to put people out of work. Yeah. Well, we can start investing in those areas around the coal mine or around the natural gas fields or mm-hmm. around whatever it is. Right. To find them new jobs. Right. 
to find them good high wage jobs that they might enjoy even more. Yeah, absolutely. So really the Green New Deal is a 14 page pamphlet on stuff that we can strive for as a future. Okay. And then there's a groundwork for members of Congress, members of state legislatures, communities and towns and industry leaders, all the stakeholders get together mm -hmm. and figure out how to get these goals, how to reach them. Right. It doesn't say what to do. It doesn't talk about killing cows and getting rid of them. Right. Or removing all airplanes from the sky. Right. Yeah. Some of the things that she puts out there, um, you know, obviously resonate with some of her supporters. Yes. Um, but they're false. <laughs> Very much so. And they're designed to fear. To create fear. They're designed to make people think that the jobs are going to go away or the world's going to change. And if you vote for her, it won't. Right. Well, you know what? Quite frankly, the world does need to change. But it needs to change in a way that's going to benefit the whole world. Yeah. And everybody needs to be on board because it's not just something that, you know, us as Americans can change. But it's, or, you know, over there in Paris or whatever. Right. Like, everybody needs to be on board because, really, the fate of humanity... <laughs> Depends on it. And speaking of Paris, she said that the she, her job at when Trump pulled us out of the Paris Climate Accord, and that mm -hmm. was she was later asked about it. She, her response was, "I work for the people of Pueblo, not the people of Paris," which is ridiculous because we're all in this together. Right. It's it's not that you work for one group of people over another group of people. Yes, you as a, as a representative, you're responsible to the people who put you in power, who elected you your right. constituents back home. But if you do better for your constituents back home, it will do better for the people around the world. Well, and it's funny that she even mentions that because Pueblo is actually one of the leading um, areas that are changing mm -hmm. the whole emissions game. Yeah. Um, they're doing great work there. I mean, they're, they're kind of known for steel work, steel mm -hmm. work, mm -hmm. um, but they are doing huge things to change their emissions. Yeah. Um, they're alone. And, and it's funny because the people of Pueblo have told me when I go down there and talk to them that she doesn't work for us. She doesn't do shit for us. Yep. She just shows up on uh, Indigenous People's Day and makes it all about her. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we'll get to Bobert in a second. More on Bobert in a second. Right. But uh, thanks for that. I really, I do enjoy clearing up some things about the Green New Deal and, and climate change because I think that it's something that we in Colorado, the, the leader of CD3, the representative of CD3, mm -hmm. and when it is me, and, and, and I went, the, the person needs to be the, the director and the leader on making sure clean water in this world happens. Because yeah. as you mentioned, we are the headwaters for rivers that produce over freshwater for over 67 million people. Wow. Um, so that's all three of those combined. Right. So when you do that, you need to be the leader of that. It's the district that can have the most impact outside of Michigan on um, freshwater in the, in the world. Wow. So, That's yeah. a lot of pressure. Yep. It's something that I'm really looking forward to doing. No, I can tell that you're very passionate about it, and I think it's um, important that we do have somebody that's in office that's going to, you know, advocate for these things. Yep. So if you, like me, enjoy freshwater, go to wilhelmforcolorado.com and donate today or sign up to volunteer. Yes, absolutely. And when it comes time, vote for Colin Wilhelm. Yes. <laughs> if you can, legally. Yes. <laughs> if you don't live in the district, don't vote for me. No, but we can still take your donations. <laughs> yes. 
Um, so yeah, so thanks for that. And now we'll go on to the BBB. Your favorite portion, <laughs> the, the Bullshit Bulletin. You can find this podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to listen, subscribe, and if you like it, leave a five-star review. Colin, tell us about what you have for us today in this segment. Well, um, today is Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Um, We've released these on Friday, uh, generally speaking. Uh, Last Sunday... Um, I think it was the 20th or something like that. Mm-hmm. Rolling Stone released an expose okay. about where Congress, congressional members were and who they were meeting with during the lead up to the January 6th insurrection. And particularly touched on where Marjorie Taylor Greene, Rep Goser out of Arizona, mm-hmm. Matt Gates, Madison Cawthorn, and our favorite, Lauren Boebert, were. Uh-huh. Now, those of us who have been following Congress on January 6th know that that group of people were um, are, are kind of a clique, almost. They tend to vote the same way. Right. Um, they tend to be um, Trump sycophants. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's very interesting. Uh, they talk a lot about where she was the night before and that sort of stuff in that article. And it had two people who were unnamed sources who have expressed a desire and agreed to testify in front of the January 6th commission. And they were the sources for this article. Um, they're unnamed because they haven't testified yet. Right. But they said that they were direct planners of the different protests around D.C. So we know that there was the one at the Ellipse. Right. Which was the main one right. that Trump attended. And there was also a protest right there at the Capitol, which Rolling Stone termed the Alexander protest. Mm-hmm. And then there was another one on the mall, which was called the Wild protest. Not Wild because it was going to get crazy, although it did. But Wild is the name of the guy who was who got the permit, I believe. Okay. Um, and so Rep. Bobert actually was supposed to attend and speak at the at the Alexander protest. Mm-hmm. And the night before, she was supposed to go on a podcast for Sebastian Gorka, one of the chief um, Trump uh, associates right. on his podcast. She had to um, cancel the, the speaking event the night before. She had to cancel the podcast event because she was, according to her staff, in planning meetings for the objection for the Electoral College, which is what the Congress was doing on January 6th. Okay. And we know she did um, object to the to the um, uh, to the adoption of the votes in the right. electoral college. Um, so where she was, we don't know, but she was at a planning meeting. Okay. What we do know is that these two members, these two unnamed sources, were at planning meetings with Trump and the Willard Hotel and Trump's very inner circle, Kushner, right. Ivanka, you know those types of inner circle people. Right. We don't know exactly who was there, except these two. And, um, and so the, th- the thought might be that Lauren Bilbert was there. Why would you give up your brand new freshman congressman in Congress? You've literally been in Congress for three days. Right. And you're getting the opportunity to speak in public and go on one of the top 
one of your top supporters podcast. You wouldn't mix that up for a vote planning session. Right. You'd send a Stafford to the planning session. Right. And you'd go get your publicity and your donations, right? I, I would think. Especially if you're her. Especially if you're her. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she didn't do that. So there must have been some high profile reason why she did that. And so I want to ask her, where were you? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's time that uh, we call on Lauren Vobert for the truth because nope. what is that saying? The truth will out. Yes. And it's only a matter of time. Well, you know, speaking of that, she did tweet this morning something from Luke 817. Um, and I think it's rather um, prescient for what she uh for what she said there, and I'm just going to read her quote real quick, if that's okay. Oh, sure. Um, she says, quote, Luke 8, 17, For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. So, Miss Bilbert, if nothing's secret, please reveal it. Where were you on the night before uh, January 5th? Who were you meeting with? Mm-hmm. What was this planning session? Right. What did you mean when you tweeted out this is 1776? What did you mean when you said Speaker po- on the House floor, Speaker Pelosi, my constituents are outside the Capitol and they're mad? Mm-hmm. And then what did you mean when you tweeted about where the Speaker was? Who were you tweeting to? Answer those questions. And if you don't want to do it in a tweet, uh, we can do it during a debate. Yeah, absolutely. And if uh, you find it as ridiculous as we do, there are multiple petitions going around right now to ask Lauren Boebert to resign. Yes. Um, demanding it, really. Yeah. Because this type of behavior and these actions are unacceptable. They are. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that they that she committed a crime because I, as an attorney, I, I won't say that until I see the evidence. Right. Anything. Absolutely. I would never do that. Sure. But there are some questions that need to be investigated. And she knows the answers to these questions. And if she really has nothing to hide... And no secrets that should not be revealed, reveal them. Let us know. Yeah, it's time to tell the truth. Yeah. If you did nothing bad, I'll be the first one to stand next to you and say that you did nothing bad. How about that? I think that's very uh, fair. Very big of you, Colin. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for another episode of this. um, Unity Colorado podcast. We're really just having fun doing this. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, you know. We're not out there trying to monetize this except to get donations. And where can you go donate, Keely? WilhelmforColorado.com. And as always, if you like this, um, you can go uh, listen to this podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, um, on our website, and anywhere where you get your podcast. Remember to give us a five-star review um, and follow us. So that way we can get more listeners and we can get more people knowing about the Bobert Bullshit Bulletin, my favorite thing, on in the middle of the week. Yeah, absolutely. And um, if you're a social media person, um, please check out our social media as well. Reach out to us. Um, if you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss on our podcast, okay. um, shoot us a message. Um, I believe it's at Colin Wilhelm 22 on most social media platforms. Um, so please, yeah, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if you have expertise in a subject and you would like to guest star even on our show, yep. um, reach out. We'd, we'd love to talk to you about yeah, it. Yeah, we've had a guest before. We're looking for more. Absolutely. So thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.